Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And now, one from Dial Square to Wear, Method Island Discs. everyone welcome to a new episode of from dial square to where another mesut island disc special and today we've got uh, following andrew mangan the other week we've got another pod, pod father on today elliot smith from the arsenal vision podcast how are you elliot hi i'm good how are you thanks for having me on andrew hi very welcome i'm de- i'm very well thank you and uh, yeah delighted to have you back on thank you ever so much for your time yeah absolutely and we've also got rowan verdi um sometime uh, YouTuber himself from the AFTV International Gooners. How are you, Rowan? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Andy. You're very welcome indeed. And you've been on before, so yeah, it's great to have you both back on as well. Now, um, we're going to press on with the episode today. Uh, everyone get involved on the comments and um, we can uh, pick up those comments as and when they come in. But uh, Mesut Island Discs, we've had a few episodes of it now. Um, and obviously, take on the um well you two guests probably don't know the old uh british institution that is desert island discs but you may have listened to the well-publicized ian wright uh, version of it fairly recently i don't know whether either of you did i have not had a chance to do that yet i have to admit that things have been super super hectic here but it's on the list <laughs> yeah oh you should definitely listen to it it's on, it's available yeah. as a podcast on all the usual platforms but it's uh mm-hmm. yeah you're dead inside if you don't get a bit emotional listening to it i think <laughs> but uh highly recommended um we're going to move on to the first uh take on um Mesut island disc and that is an arsenal goal that you'd be quite happy to take to the desert island with you and watch over and over again because you'll never get tired of it i'll go to you first elliot on this one um, okay which is your choice uh which, which is my choice for which category again sorry oh, are sorry, we just starting the to talk? arsenal goal the arsenal goal, arsenal goal. To watch. yeah so this is tough right because i guess the question is um is it a great goal or is it a meaningful goal yeah you know meaningful and- to you maybe something special to you that you'll never well, get tired of, maybe. So I have to admit that I, I'm partial to Thierry Henry scoring uh, at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during that run to the final, I, that that's definitely one that's going to stick with me. So, but it's you know aesthetically, it's certainly not a goal you just say. I just want to watch it over and over again. As yeah. silly as it sounds, I'm I'm also partial 
to the Arshavin goal against Barcelona in the first leg against mm. uh, against them in the Champions League. I, I don't know why it just sort of felt like a big moment for that era, even though it was really just halftime uh, of the tie and a tie that we went on to lose. Certainly, there's there's the uh, the Jack Wilshire Norwich goal just for its aesthetic beauty. So I you know I, I might pick one of those, but I think ultimately. I'm going to go with Fabregas in Italy, the long range shot, sort wow, of announcing yeah. himself. And I, you know, I'm a huge Cesc Fabregas fan. You can hate me for it, but that's a goal that for me, for a player that I wound up really uh, endearing, uh, uh, who was endeared to me greatly. I, I would say that that's, that is ultimately the goal that I would probably pick because of the, the connection I had with the player. But I've managed to spread out my choice enough that I've covered a lot of bases so that uh, I can be criticized from all angles, but hopefully covered all my bases as well. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Olivier Giroud, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, tons of Giroud goals. The scorpion goal for sure. Not the scorpion goal. The goal the next game where he did the scorpion celebration uh, when we were trying to win the game, More but instead much. he held everybody back. Yeah, that 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 that's definitely the one right there. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the Jack Wilshire Norwich goal, of course, it's all about the Olivier Giroud flicks uh, that was involved in that as well. That's what mm-hmm. made, yeah. really made that. Goal. That's what made it. Loved it for that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I, I can't uh, deny your choice at all. It was a fantastic goal and a fantastic player, and I'm not of the sort of persuasion of people. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't understand the people that don't appreciate and still hold a bit of, a bit of Sesk in their heart, to be perfectly honest. He did so much for the club and um, yes, he left, but it was our fault. We didn't get him back. It wasn't his fault. Nothing to do with him. So uh, people that don't like Sesk, I don't get that personally. Um, Yeah. And he just did the arts cast. So, I mean, for that reason alone, he's, he's, he's a legend in my mind. That was a great interview, actually, wasn't it? It was, wasn't candid. it? Yeah. Candid. Very candid, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was a great interview. And, uh, you know, it somehow feels that he's, he's definitely chosen his camp out of uh, Arsenal, Barcelona, Chelsea, and he's chosen that Arsenal is the place that he mm. gets most loved. And that's why he's clearly sort of positioned himself as, as an Arsenal fan and as an Arsenal uh, you know, legend, and which is why he's sort of trying to win people back, uh, which which is a good effort from my perspective. You know, uh, I I had some feelings about him leaving, and the reason why he gave, in fact, on that Ars blog interview that he was doing, and you know, the fact that 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 he left maybe a couple of years earlier than what he would have liked to. Uh, you know, whatever feelings I do have about that, but I have no qualms of him going to Chelsea because we didn't sign him. So his his preferred I, destination was here. I, th- I think that that was our fault as well. We didn't we didn't um, strengthen the team around him. Um, he was left to do everything pretty much on his own, wasn't he? Really, at that point, yeah. he was the star, and we didn't supplement that with anyone else. Um, yeah, I don't think we've got anyone to blame but ourselves. Rohan, what's what's your choice of goal? Yeah, and, and talking about Olivier Giroud, right? Like, if he has a <laughs> montage that he shows his grandchildren, he'll probably be ranked higher than Messi, right? Like, with the number of goals <laughs> that he scored, he could easily fool someone in the future that he was the best footballer in in in, in history, right? And uh, one one more thing that I feel right now, which is relevant, is that you know. What's come to the fore is how important fans are to the game, right? Last weekend, Mm -hmm. we saw the Bundesliga without any fans. And when you don't have the atmosphere, you don't have, uh, you know, the 
the drive, then the players also seem a little detached from the game and it isn't like really, you know, that intense. So for that intensity, the goal that I like and the commentary that follows with it is the one that Thierry Henry scores against Liverpool when we won 4-2. Mm. Uh, he goes around uh, Carragher and the commentary is what makes it even better. He picks it up from the halfway line. He goes in mm. there and, and the commentary goes like st- sidestepping one, sidestepping two and then he <laughs> scores yeah. that. But that's that's not my favorite goal. My favorite goal is uh, is Jack Wilshire versus Norwich. You know, that mm. is... You know, everybody praises Pep Guardiola for what he's done now but Arsenal were really doing it for much longer with crappier players. And I'm not saying that Jack Wilshire <laughs> is one of them. He's one of the good ones. But Jack Wilshire, Santi, and then Olivier Giroud, uh, you know, what a goal it was. Uh, left everyone standing. And then it's for years, I've shown it to my friends and family who don't follow football or don't follow Arsenal. And I've shown them this goal as to if you want to watch football and you want to see how beautiful it can be this is like two minutes of football that you have to see and everybody has just been left stunned you know so that's my favorite goal of uh all time it's hard to beat isn't it really and and there's a very good talking about interviews that we did with Cesc Fabregas there's a great interview recently with Jack Wilshire as well is that on the oh which one is it it, uh, the recent Arsenal podcast I believe Um, yeah and that was really good as well. Two-part um, interview. Mm. What a shame. I mean, he talking about that Barcelona game, um, Elliot. He, yeah. he just completely he, lost that midfield, didn't he? Certainly for half of it, at least. And, I, you yeah. know, I, I used to blog, uh, and I haven't in quite a while um, because I'm a lazy shit. But the <laughs> there was a time when I, I wrote a, a sort of fantasy fan fiction blog when Jack had just burst on the scene, and it was a... 10 years from now, it was supposed to be a blog from the future about all his Ballon d'Ors and why he was the best midfielder in the world and the, the Champions Leagues that he had won for us. And it was sort of projecting the, the mm. career that I anticipated him having. And I think at that time, there wasn't a lot of negative feedback um, to that blog. I, I certainly wasn't um, ruthlessly ridiculed for it. So I think that just kind of shows you what the expectations for him were. And mm. it'd be one thing to fall short of those expectations because any young player can fail to live up to best midfielder in the world status, but the extent to which his career never even really got started is, is the disappointment there. It, it's yeah. A, yeah. It's a crying shame. We've, we've been the victims of that. It was far too many players in, in my opinion, with mm. Eduardo and, um, you know, just a name, but a couple. Well, there. Diaby, Diaby's yeah, another one that comes to mind. Yeah. Diaby's a massive one. Let's um, move on to the next category, and I'll go back to you again, Elliot, with this one. And um, in the same vein, it's uh, not a goal, it's a game, an actual whole game that means uh, a lot to you that you would take with you to the desert island and to be able to watch over and over again. Which one have you you chosen? Gosh, this is is really tough. I mean, some of these questions are tough because it's, it's like, are you... Why are you taking the game, right? Like, I mean, are, mm. are you taking it because it's just a fun watch? Are you taking it because it really meant something? I mean, I think... Uh, I think um, what I try to, to convey is, 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 for me anyway, and it's it's up to everyone. Everyone's different. That's why the, the program is interesting. The, the show is interesting because everyone's got different reasons for different games. And 
Like, for example, Arsblog, he chose the 1979 Cup Final because it meant a lot to him personally. And it was when he started following the, the Arsenal. And it, it sort of links to a part in his life. You know, it, it means something because of the time of life it, it uh, actually happened. So, but in other ways, it can be just a spectacular match to watch um, that you just were thrilled by. So it's completely down to your own opinion, really, Elliot. Yeah, so, I mean, because obviously, like, the Hall FA Cup final, like, meant a lot um, because of breaking the drought and the way it ended and, the you know, the Ramsey goal and extra time was really exciting. Um, I, I think... You know, the problem is you ha obviously you can go back to famous ones from further back. I mean, you could say, you know, Thomas charging through the midfield to win the title against Liverpool. I mean, I was not an Arsenal fan at that time. So, yeah, that'd be a great game. It, it's not necessarily one that I connect with on a personal level, but for the club, it's it's extremely meaningful. Um, you know, there's there's the game I referenced in Italy that I, I think was, was great. There's the, the win over Barcelona that I referenced already. Um, there were a couple four twos against Spurs, certainly the 92nd Derby or whatever it was the, you know, where, um, Sesk scores right from the restart. That was a, yeah. a fun one that I would choose. Um, and so it's, it's really hard for me because I have a lot of games along the way that stand out as fun. I think it's a lot easier to pick the games I wouldn't choose you know because there are ones that the, the pain that yeah well that's the thing the painful ones really stick in the memory very clearly and the good ones um the good ones sort of blend together you know i mean i, I think just for pure fun you could choose the the seven five against Reading yeah. in the in the Carlin Cup that that was a that was mm. a crazy game. I remember losing my mind on Twitter at halftime and then having to yeah. delete a lot of tweets. Um, although I don't I don't delete <laughs> tweets, so they're still out there for you to to view. Um, yeah, I mean ultimately, it's it's tough, but I I might take that win at the at the Bernabeu. I don't know why, but that game just really stands out for me as a moment where I felt like our club was arriving was arriving on a level that that would would put us at the absolute very top table of European football. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, I'm not sure, did, did that happen? I can't remember. Did, did we arrive at the very top table of European football? <laughs> it's, well, it's it, it felt like Almost. it, didn't it? That was a good... I mean, I remember when I was... Um, I got my membership pack through uh, the season after, and they included that, the DVD of that game, because it was, it was just so special. What a moment it was. And it made everyone sit up and take notice and you know, really take it seriously, didn't it? For Even if it was only for a short while, it was there. You know, we, we no one had ever won at the Bernabeu from an English team before. So, it, and what it a team it was that time. Yeah. Say again, sorry. Mm -hmm. What a team it was, oh. uh, the Madrid team. Yeah, uh, it was incredible. It was unthinkable. I know, I know. Same as the Barcelona team. Mm -hmm. um, Full-strength Barcelona team would beat that night as well. It's... Um, it brings back so many good memories and um it's like um even the champions league final and you know a few people have put it into the next category that we'll come on to shortly uh, but for me I, I was so proud of the team that night and i wouldn't want to get rid of it because there are some good <laughs> even despite the result there's some very very nice memories from that game per, for me personally mm. and the, the Sol Campbell goal when that went in I don't think I've ever felt as exhilarated over a football game before and I wouldn't want to get rid of that feeling because I can still remember it so Eddie what, what's your choice of game Rowan 
So uh, there, there are two games that stand out, right? Like, uh, like Elliot said, right? We've had patches of games where we've played really well and we've played beautiful football. And, you know, so I su- started supporting Arsenal in 2003. Like, that's when I got introduced to Arsenal and then the rivalry between uh, Arsenal and Manchester... <laughs> that 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 was the best time to be introduced but unfortunately yeah. that was the last time that that we won the league so uh, but but just seeing the rivalry between arsenal and manchester united and in some ways arsenal was the underdog right it was the story of the underdog uh, there although we had we were the second best so we were uh, not the underdog for 18 other teams but with manchester united it was that sort of a race where it was neck and neck and then just seeing the way the team progressed. So from then, I could choose, you know, games that we played. And we played some beautiful games after that. But what stands out the most for me are two games. You know, one is that Barcelona game, which is the Jack Wilshere game, because that was prime Barcelona, right? Like that was Xavi, Iniesta, everyone in, in that midfield. And then you have Jack Wilshere, our, our guy, you know, bossing that midfield and, you know, us winning it and the and 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 the Emirates absolutely exploding. So, you know, the feeling there was great. And and that that is amplified because later in later years, when I was when I was at university, I would organize these watch parties at my house. We'd have uh, projectors and for a lot of uh, round of 16 games with Bayern Munich, I made the mistake of having that watch party at my house and then we'd start with all the enthusiasm and about 20 minutes in Tony Cruz has scored and like everyone else has scored and you're just like watching a dismal game right so for the performance I think it's the it's the Barcelona game but what the feeling that I got of joy but more than that the relief was the hull final you know uh, because i remember watching it and you know a couple of days before that i was talking to my friends who were manchester united fans or chelsea fans and they've been like bantering me and you know i said just wait for this sunday when we win against hull and then eight minutes in we're two goals down and i'm just like <laughs> it's happened again hasn't it like i'm not answering calls i'm getting calls and then <laughs> And then we turn it around, right? Like, and that was just, you know, and, and on Instagram, there's like a photo of me with my TV and Arsene Wenger, like in the TV. So that's a <laughs> selfie with me. It's awesome. <laughs> and my TV. And but but it just felt so good. It was it was so massive for our club. And then uh, you know mm. that was that was a game that I that I won't forget. So yeah, yeah, that one. I mean, I still love the FA Cup, and uh, it means it means a lot. So people, people in my generation, anyway. It's, it's, I mean, going back to when I was a kid, and it, it lasted the whole day until you know an hour or two after the, the final whistle. It was all about the FA Cup that day, and uh, you know they used to interview local butchers uh, in the morning of the, one of the clubs, and they'd name a certain sausage after the the club or <laughs> you know that type of thing, and it was just uh, incredible. It was stupid little things like that, and. Uh, celebrity fans of those clubs and it went on all morning and right the way through to kickoff and it, was, it meant something back then and uh, uh, I can't remember who it was um, one of the players was interviewed recently um, 
it escapes me which one. But um, they said it, at the time it was bigger than the Champions League, the FA Cup final. It meant more and it was shown to more people around the world. Mm. And uh, it's a shame it's not the same anymore, but I still got it's still got that magic for me. And that, that was an exhilarating game again, you know, and uh, the way that we turned it around. I mean, Santi Cazorla's free kick. What a phenomenal free kick that was. It was incredible, wasn't it? So, yeah, great, great choice. And the next one is, I'll go back to you again, Elliot. Mm-hmm. A game that you would like to get rid of and banish from history. Um, there's been quite a few choices down the down the, uh, down the the road with Arsenal. Um, something you could change the result of. And um, Which one would be your number one? Um, so it's funny, right? Like the one that you think would be the easy choice is... is- Paris, right? The Champions League final. Um, and that was painful. And, and certainly, like, the, the pain of that game, I would like to erase. In terms of a game that I would just want to wipe from my memory because of the frustration of it, I think it'd be the 4-4 at Newcastle. I don't know that I have ever been as frustrated by and hurt by a game, not in terms of the ramifications of it, but just everything it represented about Arsenal in that moment because what people kind of forget is that like we were sort of in a title race at that point like had we yeah. won that we're four nil up at halftime we're looking like we're playing great we're good we're, we're potentially making a charge towards the title and then everything went wrong um you know we had a sending off which wound up hurting us obviously right and like it's Joey Barton and the team was just full of, full of CNX Tuesdays and like the way we collapsed and it also involved refereeing nonsense so like I mean, I could pick one, you know, like the the Rooney dive at Old Trafford that cost us the unbeaten streak or Paris or, you know, whatever you want to say. But for me, that is a game that for whatever the reason, 50 years from now, I'll be able to say it's one of my least favorite Arsenal games. So I just delete that one. Yeah. Uh, again, I can't really argue too much with that. I mean, I, there's a lot of the end of last season. Uh, the, uh, some of my lowest points have been an Arsenal fan under Unai Emery. The collapse at the end of last season. Oh uh, yeah, However, Palace maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would, I could choose any one of those um, games, but I actually wouldn't because it might mean that we would have made Champions League and he might still be here. So, mm. <laughs> in lots of ways, I mean, I, oh, yeah. Less said, the better. Rowan, what's your choice of game that you'd like to delete and change? So, Emery, for some reason, I've just deleted him from my memory. Smart right? man. Like, it well, seems man. like, it seems like it's like I've X-Men. I've specialist, and... but I haven't got there yet. My psychiatrist yeah, worked his magic. For yeah. some reason, when I was thinking about it as well, and like you said, this was the lowest point of me being an Arsenal fan for you know, 17, 18 years now. But uh, somehow I just didn't remember that because uh, I was like, "That's not Arsenal. That's something else." That yeah. they, they're playing under the name, but that is not my team. That is not <laughs> yeah. my club, right? Like these, really these are imposters. Of, I totally agree. So, that's a totally. Uh, that's how I felt. I, I felt like it wasn't my club. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what I, what I was telling some people that this is the first time that I felt, you know, that that it's a chore to watch Arsenal, you know, tuning in every week was a chore at that point, you know, you would Mm. still do it because you're just so tuned to it. And at some point, at some level, you had that feeling that maybe it's going to change and we're going to do better or something like that, but it just didn't get better. So, I mean, I'm not even counting that. And, uh, you know, of course, if I could change the result, then it would be, 
the Champions League final, uh, you know. But I've 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 listened to a few of your podcasts before, mm-hmm. and the people who have come on here have have made a brilliant point that that game also had Sol Campbell's goal, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a high that. I had not felt before in terms of being an Arsenal fan, right? Like that itself brought so much joy that taking that away, if I could change the result, then yeah, I would definitely do that. But, you know, I wouldn't want to delete that game completely. But the one that I would like to delete is the 8-2. Mm. The 8-2 against Manchester United. Because, like I said, a lot of my friends, a lot of people in India are Manchester United fans and I had like my friends all around and it was embarrassing. It was frustrating. And that, that seriously, I think it had some PTSD on me. Like Arsenal needs to pay for therapy or something, you know, (laughs) for big games against Manchester United, especially for the next years, whenever I went in, of course I'd put on a brave face, but every time I'd just be thinking, don't get smashed again again please don't get smashed again you know that's the feeling that i had after that and we did get smashed a couple of times not by manchester united but by chelsea and by city or someone else but you know that one and again like you know i hold wenger in such high regard and you know i think i still think that he is i mean he is an arsenal legend there is no there is no doubt about it but i think there are multiple factors that led to his downfall and i he was stubborn, but that's not the end of it. But that sort of signified the end of the feud between him and Ferguson, really, right? Like, mm. after that, they sort of became friendly, right? And Ferguson, when he became friendly with people, it signified that he didn't see them as rivals. And that is what mm. Arsene Wenger became after that game. So, yeah. you know, for yeah. me, it was painful. You know, the yeah. funny thing, I'll just add that, like, that's a stain on the club. But weirdly, it's not as painful for me as like the 6-0 to Chelsea or the, the game right before that where we got annihilated. By the way, Ron, I have that exact mug like in eyeshadow. <laughs> I can like see it right there. <laughs> um, but uh, because going into that game, it kind of felt inevitable. Like we had left the squad in such bad shape. I think the trolley dash came after that, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And like we had like... Yeah. Armand Traore playing left back, I think, and Mikel, Ignacy Mikel playing center back at some point in that game, I think. Like it just, it was a bad team that was not prepared to go to Old Trafford, and everything went wrong on that day. And, you know, Ashley Young just had shots flying in, and everything that t- <laughs> yeah. kicked went, went in a goal. But, like, you know, I will remember that game in part for things like the We Love You Arsenal, We Do song going on nonstop for basically the entire second half. Like there were, there were things that I was proud of in that day and the way the fans reacted and, it, it did feel a little inevitable. So while it was a stain on the club, in a way, it it wasn't as painful as some of the shocks that we suffered, you know, uh, along the way subsequently or, or prior to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that does. That absolutely does, you know. And the passion of the fans and especially the away uh, fans has al- always been applauded, right? And mm-hmm. the way it was. And, uh, you know... You can't. You wouldn't expect that team to go and win at Old Trafford, but losing by the odd goal, losing by a couple of goals, uh, would have been acceptable, right? Like uh, it was. It was a combination of a lot of things. We missed a penalty at the end of uh, the first half, which would have sort of got us back to 
2-1, something like that, 3-1. Uh, and then, you know, everything that they tried was going in for them, right? Rooney scored two of those free kicks. Ashley mm-hmm. Young yep. turned into, like, uh, prime Robin or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? just so on the was, other foot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Ribery, actually. So, so, yeah. so, so it was, it was uh, just, just frustrating to watch that. And, yeah, I mean, for the PTSD that follows, because every time I, I saw it, you know, uh, I every time I saw the fixture list, I was just like, don't get smashed again. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it, I think it broke Arsene Wenger a little bit as well, somehow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, that was my choice, as you probably know if you watched that uh, episode. But yeah, I, I was wounded by that as well. Um, now, Rowan, would you mind, with regards to the music choices that are coming up now if i ran through one after the other with uh elliot's um quickly because elliot's on a time schedule so mm-hmm. and then we can take a bit more time afterwards yeah. with your choices. Go for it. yeah yeah great well with regards to the first one elliot it's mm. a song to summarize and like i said it doesn't have to be a song that specifically you know that you like or whatever it's just yeah. something that sums up your thoughts overall on the Wenger era for you. Yeah. Um, I think maybe The Long and Winding Road by the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, a yeah, wistful song, a yeah. song that has joy to it, a song that has sadness about it, a song that reflects a, a deep connection, um, a song that reflects the primacy of the person that it's about. You know, it always leads mm-hmm. me back to your door. Like so much of what Arsenal was, was, yeah. was about Wenger and, um, yeah, I, just, I, I don't know why. That was the first thing that just popped into my head, and I think it, it oh, fits great. for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good choice. Yeah, mm. it does make uh, a lot of sense. I, I like to... People really cut it down the half, don't they, the Bengaria, and and really rubbish the last half of his reign. And I, I, I still can't see it like that, really. I see it as three, it, three-thirds, personally, or almost four quarters. Yeah, yeah. well, even in his, the worst period, we were still winning three FA Cups and what other club wouldn't give the right arm to win three FA Cups even when they're poor? Do you know what I mean? And there were so many uh, seasons that I think got away from us. Yes, because he didn't drink from the uh, squad enough and that's down to him as well. Stubbornness. But overall, we had so many serious injuries, season-ending injuries that completely wrecked us at the wrong time. And there was a lot of bad luck. We we were in the title race several times in those latter years. Several Mm. times. And uh, it's a shame. Yeah, I I think you can be critical of the last three or four seasons um, in terms of the the quality of the football and the the performances. Just a lot of things. I I think to combine everything post-Invincibles as one section is is not an accurate reflection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And um, yeah, All right, let's move on to his successor, Mr. Unai Emery. Mm-hmm. What would be your song for that? And I'll, I'll I think, think the song for that would be Who Let the Dogs Out? Um, <laughs> because it's as close to the musical distillation of horror as possible. It is the worst thing that exists in the universe. Um, it is terrible. <laughs> It is regrettable. It is lamentable. And yet it seemed to stick around in the culture 
for reasons that I could not explain. Um, you find it stuck in your mind when you don't want it there. So for, you know, I mean, for all of the reasons of how horrible it was and yet how persistent it was in remaining in the culture and in your brain, I think Who Let the Dogs Out works for me. Not for any of the significance of the, the song itself, although you could argue that he let dogs out and they took a giant crap on our pitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say in general, Who Let the Dogs Out is a fit for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like at the end, it was like an an oozing weeping sore that just wouldn't heal wouldn't it, it just mm. it was horrendous and it just it, went on far do you know what though it was technically still this season that he was in charge well this and season he, feels like a, a, a distant memory at this point well, that's what I was <laughs> did say. it happen it, it feels like, <laughs> feel like three or four years ago in, mm -hmm. in some respects i mean the fact that that horrendous watford game was still this season just I, I can't quite get my head around that it just seems like it was years ago um and i wish right like i was like rowan I, I wish i could just put the whole era out of my head and just pretend it never happened but uh, i haven't got to that stage yet unfortunately hopefully with a bit more counseling i will but um but the amount that he he, he still talks about arsenal right oh, like uh, i mean every other the day interview. he's saying something and 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 now his English seems to have improved, which was the main reason why he couldn't work out because because he couldn't communicate. If he did so much talking when he was in the dressing room, he'd probably still be around. Like he's just incorrigible. This well, guy. Uh, I've heard several, you know, even uh, ex pros, ex professional footballers say that there's a good coach in there. You don't get to where he is without being mm -hmm. a good good coach but i'm convinced that he's not even got any coaching qualifications and he's just great at interviews and when he gets in there he tries to blag it as much as possible by working on formations on football manager or something just to try and get through and i i've got i could see no tactical ability in that guy whatsoever he, even during the the long sort of unbeaten run in his first season i think it was more down to the players than him if i'm honest uh, I, that's the way i feel i, I can't see the any kind of tactical ability in the guy whatsoever but there you go that's just me it was uh, it was horrific and i'm just glad it's over but it went on far too long if <laughs> if, if we'd have uh, got rid of him after the uh, the europa sorry the europa league final and we started the season with arteta I, I, it makes me sad to think where we could actually be now i think we'd be you know quite comfortably in the top four personally yeah. anyway Let's move on to the era that obviously we're going to have a bit of projection here, um, but it's how you feel at, under a Mikel Arteta and what, yeah, what song would sort of best describe you, the, your feelings about that, Elliot? So I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for a period of time. And oh, so I was exposed Nashville. to some country music and singer songwriter music. And it's, it's not my favorite uh, genre, but there is a guy named Robert Earl Keane who wrote a song called Feeling Good Again. Um, and it's sort of about a guy who's down on his luck. He's got no money. He's got nothing going for him. But he walks into the bar and he sees some familiar faces. And here's a song on the jukebox that he likes. And it, the line is, it feels so good feeling good again. Um, you know, I, I had 20 bucks. I bought everyone around. I, you know, and it's like, it's like feeling good again. You know, you, you spot some things that look like Arsenal that you remember. You see a guy on the touchline who looks good in the colors and, you know, isn't a hot mess and can speak and inspire you. And, you know, we were down and things aren't particularly good for the club right now, but there's that little moment of just 
feeling good again and seeing a familiar face and seeing something that looks and feels a little bit like the club. So while um, you may not be exposed to that genre of music, the sentiment of the the song definitely sort of sums up for me how I felt like, cause it's not we're back and you know, everything's good, in it, but it's just in, it's a little, it's an oasis. It's, it's a feeling yeah. of being able to feel good about Arsenal again after a period where you sort of just felt like the kicking you in the ass. Yeah. That sounds good. I mean, I've been to, I was lucky enough to go to, uh, to Nashville uh, quite a few years ago now. I was uh, uh, actually I was eighteen, believe it or not. It's been mm. a long time ago. Quite a few years <laughs> ago, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, but I went to the Grand Old Opry at the time, and uh, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed myself. It was good. The Grand it's Old a good Opry place Hotel. to be if you're planning to be single. Uh, if you are in, <laughs> in a relationship that you consider serious and long term, <laughs> maybe maybe give it a pass. <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I really did. Mm. I went on the tour of all the. Uh, the, the musicians' houses and everything, and it was fun. Went to Graceland's whilst I was there as well. Which not it's changed a lot, Andrew. I would tell you over the years, uh, it is now famous. It has surpassed Las Vegas as the number one destination for bachelorette parties. I think you call them hen parties um, in uh, in the United States. The number one place for them. So that gives Nashville. you a sort of sense of what the social. Se- yep, number one. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Even over and above Las Vegas. Over Las Vegas. Yeah, just took over wow. Las Vegas for that. Yeah. I don't know how they measure that. I don't know if there's like a National Hen Party Bachelorette Party Institute of Statistics <laughs> that takes these Fences. measurements. But I can tell you, having been there um, relatively recently, that it is kind of wild. You go out to any reasonably popular bar at night, and it's a bunch of people with lollipops that are phalluses, you know, <laughs> trying to get you to participate in whatever silly Hen party slash bachelorette party game they are engaged in. So yes, God, that's that was... of any city in the UK mm-hmm. uh, on yeah. a Saturday, basically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, every week. Oh, normally anyway. Well, that's just good. It means a lot of people are getting married. So good for them. Happy. Yeah. People. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know about good for them, but um, good luck to them. Um, yeah. Swings around. Uh, <laughs> right. The last one is um, the film to yeah. summarize what Arsenal means to you as a whole. And um, again, I'll just pass it over to you, Elliot. And then yeah. obviously we can. Apologies for it's, it's the middle of the day for you, and you're, you're supposed to be at work. So I am. I'm technically working right now. I've had to do a little of it during this, so I apologize for that. But uh, yeah, okay. and I, I will. I will yield the mic after this. But I. So this is a weird choice, admittedly. But I will explain it. Uh, the movie I picked is Dune. The movie oh, Dune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here's why. I absolutely effing love that movie. And yeah. yet, at the same time, I recognize that in some ways, it is a steaming pile of crap in some parts. It is a B movie <laughs> in some ways. It has stars. Sting is in the movie in a ridiculous appearance. A Toto did the music for it. The legendary yeah. band Toto. Af- um, Africa, yeah. Yep, it is. Um, it is a. It has a legendary director. It has. Um, you know, Kyle uh, McLaughlin, the guy who would go on to be in Twin Peaks, which is an incredible mm. show and ultimately movie. Like it is, it is culture. It is, it is culture. And in some ways it is culture that you have to get it to love it. Not everyone's going to love it. And at times it's going to challenge you to be like, Oh, they really missed it here. And at times it elevates itself. It goes from ridiculous to sublime and back. It has stars and it has comically weird things about it. And it just, I, I, I love the analogy in the sense that like, Arsenal isn't Real Madrid. Arsenal isn't um, Barcelona. Arsenal isn't Bayern Munich. Arsenal is a a club that has elements of it that are 
absolutely sublime bits of it that are greatness that are in the culture forever. And it has parts of it that are ridiculously inept and make you want to pull your hair out and everything in between. But it means so much to me. And that mm. movie, cause I watched it with friends when I was, you know, I was living in New York city at the time and I was right out of college and we would watch it all the time. Cause we had no money. We couldn't go out and, you know, you'd have some drinks and watch that movie. And, um, and it just so it means something to me, and it's personal, and it has personal yeah. meaning. And I recognize that to some people are like, "Haha, it's a joke." To some people, they think it is elevated art. You know, it has people involved in it that are extraordinary, and people involved in it that are terrible. And it just sort of summarizes what I think a football club should be to you, which is very personal, something that has is multifaceted in the way you respond to it, and that not everybody can get. Not everybody gets Arsenal. Um, you know, maybe that wasn't always the case. Maybe Arsenal was the obvious choice at one time, you know, when the Invincibles were going undefeated for a season and Thierry Henry was leading the line and you had Bergkamp and Perez and, and Vieira and, you know, Saul Campbell. So, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe it was the obvious choice. Maybe it was Titanic. Well, Titanic's a bad one, but, you know, uh, it was the blockbuster. It was something that everybody got, everybody enjoyed. But for me, um, yeah, I have to pick something a little more counterculture and that, that's why I did. That's fantastic. Yeah, do you know I watched that that film at the at the cinema? Mm, when it came really? Out, okay. But I haven't actually seen it since. Well, I they've got a new one it. coming out. So there, there there is a new one coming out. Well, we'll see now with COVID when it happens. It was supposed to be I think later this year, early next year. But um, it is it is one of those things where people who have approached the work have failed mightily to to make it come to life. And I I don't know. I, all I will say because this is not a film review, but I will just say that. Any good art, I think, that you connect with, whether it's a sports team or a book or a movie or music, it shouldn't all be one thing. You know, no. it shouldn't it shouldn't all be one thing. And so I picked a movie that for me is complicated and means a lot of things because Arsenal is that for me as well. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I love the way you described it as well. And um, I think it's a great, great choice. Shouts. Absolutely great cool. choice. Yeah, thanks. I'm so, like I said, I'm sorry to monopolize the mic, but if you release me back to my job, I can stay employed, which will allow me to continue to have a computer and a microphone to talk into for, for our podcast. So that'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'll just very briefly say thank you again for coming on. Really appreciated it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And I really would like to say on behalf of everyone else, and I know it's been said before, you're doing a great job on your Arsenal Vision podcast. Thanks, if man. anyone's yeah. not listening to it, which I highly doubt, but definitely get yourselves on there. Um, we just did. We just released uh, like almost two hours on KSE on Stan. And, and at the beginning, that. we had Giant really Gunnar on. He did the financial breakdown. Then we had the whole panel on. So that that's what's out there now if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, definitely highly recommend it. I've already listened to that. It was a fantastic episode. And um, congratulations on your... Um, fantastic effort on the raising money for the Arsenal Foundation. That was awesome, wasn't I, it? Yeah. I um, we spoke off air before. I am going to be making a donation to that because I think it's a fantastic cause. You've done amazing work. Um, going to have someone knocking on your door, Andrew. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> You've got a guy outside your house. Yeah. Oh, I'll welcome you in with our open arms. You know, it's... the funny thing about that, just real quick, Andrew, is we, um, we debated internally about that fundraiser. I, I was thinking about saying we're going to shoot for one month. We're going to raise 10,000 pounds for, for this great charity. We're going to do it in a month. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to put a time limit on it just in case, you know, if it's 45 days, if it doesn't happen, I don't want people to say, oh, your fundraiser failed. Uh, and it took a week. Everyone did it in a week, which is incredible well, to me. I was you know, just about great. to say, it just shows you how kind, warm, generous the whole Guna family are. Yeah, amazing. And, mm -hmm. 
we look after each other and I really wish it stayed that way all the time but there's too many fractions in our um, fan base for my liking but it just shows you when the times are tough we come together and we can do anything we can uh, we want really and I hope it continues in that way after this uh, crazy crisis we're going through at the moment globally. well said but congratulations again thank you ever so much for coming on and i hope to see you again soon Elliot. you certainly will it's my pleasure andrew and rowan it's great to meet you i don't think we chatted before yeah. but i enjoyed it yeah yeah and i wanted to say it's it's great to interact with you because i've i've heard your podcast uh but oh, uh, you know it's it's uh the first time that we're interacting so it's great to you know sort of uh, be in touch and uh yeah, agreed. Was, uh, I know you're in New York and and doing the law thing. So you're, um, if you ever want to be talked out of that, just give me a call and I can I can give you all the reasons to, <laughs> to not stick with sure. you. <laughs> we'll be in touch. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Elliot. Take care. Take. Right, Roman. I do appreciate that, and thank you for your understanding. Um, oh, sure. He only had a certain amount of time, so it's great that we can actually take yeah. our time now and yeah, haven't got to rush too much. Sure. It's it's on. it's actually the middle of my workday as well. But what I did was because we spoke about two weeks ago, what I did was I've put a, a, a calendar invite for myself. So which was I'm blocked for between oh, two and four here. Great. So I great get foresight. no <laughs> so, Yeah, well done. Yeah. Well done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Elliot works for himself and, and yeah. uh, he, he said he's snowed under at the moment. So I'm just glad that we got him on anyway mm -hmm. and uh, had the chance to have a chat to him. But um Right, we move on to your first music choice song, which is the choice for the Venga era and what that sort of means to you encapsulated in a song. So what right. have you gone for? So so the Venga era and, uh, you know, again, we can say that it's split mm. into two. It's, uh, you know, it was success in the first part. But what and and some people would say it's failure on the second part. But what I see is. More than failure, there's there's a story of loyalty there. There's a story of uh, perseverance there. There's a story of dedication there. You know, there were there was there was a time when, when when he was wanted by the biggest clubs. You know, he was wanted by the the uh, Real Madrids and Bayern Munichs, and he had to stay, and he decided to stay. You know that that part. And then, what's what's important is, and I'm happy that. Uh, you know, Cesc Fabregas brought it out in that in that interview with us blog, which was that people think that he had more control than he actually did. That's mm -hmm. what he said in one part of it. And the way I yeah. read it is, you know, and he said he said it himself in in one of the things that if you go out one night with me, you will see that I do like to spend money. So it's not like, you know, the buck couldn't stop with him and people. I feel like the agenda was misplaced because he wasn't the sole problem. He was just an employee of the club, right? If he's been given that job and he's been given that money, although I don't think he's he's doing it, he did it for the money. But any of us, if we got that opportunity, we would take that opportunity. And it is for my boss to tell me you're not good enough. And if the bosses let me continue, it's their fault. It's not my fault anymore, right? Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. And an and analogy I'd made earlier uh, in another podcast was that, you know, for me, I see him as the mother who doesn't want to leave the child, child being the team and the fans with the alcoholic dad. 
you know, <laughs> and the alcoholic dad, uh, the owners, and Gazidez, and all of these guys who are going to ruin the club if he goes. So he says that I, my time is done, but you know, I I can't leave because if I leave, everything's going to go to shit. You know, yeah, but... so 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 that's my feeling about Wenger in a nutshell. Uh, and you know, if if it was a movie, then it would be Dead Poet Society. You know, he is the teacher, he is the guide, he is he's who's taking us forward. He, you know, I, I I trust what he would say. He was the face of it. You know, in the AGMs, there was no need for the coach or the manager to organize or and to be the face of it, but he still did because he knew that the the alcoholic dad couldn't get himself out of bed and actually come and address the children right like so yeah that but if it's the song then you know i i think it's it's nothing else matters by metallica you know oh, yeah. in which in Quite which true. it says that you know so close no matter how far you know in terms of the titles in terms of you know uh, we say between 2005 2014 there weren't there weren't there wasn't success, but we went to the Champions League final. We went to an FA Cup final, and we went to a League Cup final. Which and we were we were in a lot of the uh, title races. Exactly. The last 10, well, eight, ten games. Exactly. So, well. so many times in the title race as well. So, you know, all of this together, you know, so close, no matter how far, couldn't be much more from mm. the heart. Forever trust in who we are, yeah. and nothing else matters. You know. Great song. And, yeah. So, you know, and and then the fact that I trust what he had said, and for a lot of people, it would be that he's lied to us, and he's, but he's also an employee, right? Like, and but he's tried to be fair, and I don't think he's done anything for personal gain. You know, if I look at it, the way he left the club was better than in better shape in terms of the squad than what Ferguson left. Although he'd won the title, he, in his last season, bought a Van Persie who was at the sort of end of his career, going to be injured. Uh, but to win the title, he bought him instead of refreshing his centre-backs, yeah. instead of getting a new midfield, you know, things like that. But Penger didn't do that, you know. His criticism is that he didn't buy the by the league, which he could have done. And yeah. and I do understand that, but that's well, not the I mean, what, what would we give now to be able to finish in the top four? 18, well, no, it was 20 seasons. 20 seasons. 22, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and sometimes our squad was completely in tatters um, with regards to injuries, etc. And we had to set, the last few years, I think what was frustrating was selling one of our best players every year or one or two of our best players every year at one stage and not replacing them sufficiently and all that every single season we know and everyone knew across the world that we needed to strengthen the defensive the defensive midfield and the central defense and he never did now what i can't wait to to actually read is his book that comes mm. out in october, october. because I, I i still can't quite get past the fact that I think that so much of it uh, in his tenure, especially after the Emirates move, I think that he was, I get the feeling he was shielding so much and taking so much on his own back just to save the reputation of the club and, yeah. um, and the board. And I think a lot of that hopefully will come out and yeah, 
Tony Turner watching now says the same. Hopefully Wenger reveals some interesting bits in his book. I, I really hope so. But the fear I've got of that is that he's such a gentleman, he's such an yeah. honourable guy, that he exactly. might still not fully reveal all. But uh, I, I hope that's not the case because there's no one that just... He, he literally gave his entire life to Arsenal uh, yeah. throughout his tenure there. Nothing else mattered to him. Uh, which is a great link to your song choice, basically. I don't think anything mattered exactly. to him apart from Arsenal, and I think he missed out on, you know, uh, an awful lot of his life, um, which he, he gave to the club. So, yeah, I, I can't think of anything bad about Wenger, and I, I do love the guy, and uh, it, it was sad the way that uh, things went in the end, unfortunately, but, yeah, it's a great Absolutely. choice. Uh, absolutely, you know... Uh... Again, so many times so close and that, you know, there are so many things that we'd want to know, you know, what happened in so many seasons, you know, mm. what has happened, what is going on, you know, but he is, it would be absolutely out of character. I'm not, I've already pre-ordered it, but I'm not expecting, you know, any sensational re reveals in that, you know, he's not the Roy Keane sort of character who's going to come out with something sensational and, and you know, badmouth the club or even indicate it that, that way. I don't think he would. It would be very out of character, although I would love him to. But I don't think he's going to do that. Hopefully he will relieve, uh, sorry, release all of the information, but do it in a lovely way. <laughs> like yeah, a very yeah. uh, gentlemanly, honourable way. And not slag exactly. people off, but just do it in a great nice way fingers crossed exactly you know he's given his whole life and then at the end what did he get he 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 got hate from the fans he got you know uh, booed out of the stadium and then he eventually lost the job you know although everybody would say that he's he stepped down and that's what i would like to believe but no, that wasn't the case did. there were there were seats that were empty and the board took you know him well, as the scapegoat and they took him out. I've said this before, but it's no coincidence that he left in the summer of 2018. And that summer was the summer that um, that Stan Kroenke got full control of 100%, Arsenal. Yeah. 100%. And there's no... I don't think there's any coincidence that he got rid of him as soon as he got 100% ownership of the club. Uh, I think I, I think it was more than hundred percent. It was the fact that now there were empty seats, and that is something that would you know hurt this guy, you know, because he wanted the money, and you know he just couldn't stand it. But again, that's a story of you know when you dedicate your whole life to that, and and then you get nothing in return. You know, I, I this is this is what I posted one time on Twitter, you know, I don't know if there's a make my wish, make a wish foundation, which can help me help my think come true. But, you know, I really wish, and this is one of my hopes for my life that I could spend one day with Wenger yeah. oh, and talk too. to him and, and just, just basically ask him, you know, candid, I, I've got no wires. I promise that I will never reveal, but I want to know what has happened. You know, tell me your side of the story because I want to know. He's, I, growing up, I didn't meet my grandfather, but he seems like the grandfather I would have wanted to have. You know, that sort mm. of a person. So yeah, uh, yeah, I I totally agree, and uh, I would love to spend some time with him. And uh, I was listening to a podcast once, and one of the guys who was a a guest on the podcast 
paid, it was one of the raffle things, and uh, they paid for an hour lunch with uh, Wenger. Him, he, he could take one friend as well. And uh, he turned up, and it, apparently he, he was just absolutely delighted. He spent not just the hour, they ended up spending about four hours together. Uh, he was in no rush, and he was uh, completely open, apparently. And But uh, regrettably, the guy who had paid this and won it in the, the raffle didn't give anything away. He said, there's absolutely no way that I would tell you know any stories, because I promised him it would all be completely private and I would never disclose it and he, he, to his credit he didn't um, I respect that. imagine what he's walking around with all this knowledge in his head and no one else knows I just oh I'd love to know that I'd love to know and just ask him so many searching questions in a, in a conversation I'd, I'd love nothing more at the end of the 22 years it's such a situation that he doesn't want to come back and 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 watch the club in the stadium that he's helped build like uh, you know that what could be a bigger disgrace to the club than that you know ferguson turns up in every game and wenger has not come since you're not telling me that he hasn't had offers either to manage clubs after he left he probably no, has no one could convince me that he hasn't had offers coming out of his ears and i don't genuinely think that he could put his heart and soul into running another club, like, you know, manage another club. I think his heart's broken. Yeah. Personally. It's, it's, let's, it's, let's move yeah. on to the Unai Emery era and what song encapsulates that for you? So, Emery being trash, you know, I, I had to pick a, a song which was, uh, you know, from the 90s early 2000s and uh, you know again not the best music but it's bye 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 nsync so <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you, yeah. you may hate me but it ain't no lie baby bye 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 you know yeah. because he just can't stop talking about arsenal and it pisses me off like he is the antithesis of arsenal what uh, of arson like what we just spoke about he is bandmouthing the club nose non-stop and he's coming up with random excuses this guy needs a doctor seriously yeah i know he's a he's literally doing my head in i wish he'd just go away and um he, but he keeps popping up because he's trying to cover his own ass isn't he and wants another job and but he's, he's yeah uh, but he on. seems like such a such a petty guy and he seems like he's a guy who was not in control right like his interview is like oh uh, you know the 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 club didn't back me the uh, fans sold me out they did this they did that if I, when i was in psg the president used to support me when i was somewhere else the, you know this the owner used to support me like you're showing like you didn't have control no listen he was the head coach he had no choice over the players whatsoever and he took the he literally took the job on that basis he knew that and that's the reason why he went in there with that so-called dossier of all of our players and saying that he could get the best out of the players that we had and he could work with those players now that he's he didn't come in as a manager he came in as a head coach to coach the players that we've got and the, the players that he's given so the fact that he keeps coming out with all this bullshit about Louis, uh, keep saying Louis Zaha, Wilfred Zaha, is doing my head in because a we couldn't afford Louis. Uh, God, to tell it again, uh, Wilfred <laughs> Zaha, we couldn't afford him. We'd have to pay the whole lot in one go, which is a no chance, no chance whatsoever. Eighty million quid, 
we had to, we went for Pepe because we could pay in installments, and that's sure. the they actually wanted us to play in installments, um, Lille, because of the they were under so much uh, difficulties financially. They had to guarantee so much money over a certain period of time, so they actually wanted the payment in installments, which helped us as well. So there's no chance we're going to get Wilfred, uh, Wilfred Zaha. But in the end, of, at the end of the day, it's not his choice anyway. He couldn't go out and choose players because he's not his job. And even if now he says, "Oh, Wilfred Zaha, you know, tore us apart. He was such a great player, etc." Et and what happened in the Crystal Palace game, which was the season-defining game last season? He put out mm. a weak squad. If you're <laughs> playing against such a guy, why did you put, pick? Like he, this guy has no logic, you know. No, he, he's no. just mumbling stuff, and he's just bringing out stuff just to be relevant. And I've had enough of this guy, you know. Uh, it, it's when he came in. You know, you remember, like, he used to make changes at halftime and they would mm-hmm. turn up. Uh, People you know, were they... praising that. But he was putting yeah. right, he was putting right his mistakes. He exactly. The wrong t- so initially, initially, I felt like, yeah, because Wenger always used to wait till the 65th, 70th minute to make that change. So somebody, we've got someone who's proactive. But then later, I was like, wait, why doesn't he choose the right playing 11? <laughs> I know, Exactly. It's just common sense. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. uh, Lucas Torreira is not the new Eden Hazard. And he just convicted play game after game after game, playing him in the number 10 role. It, I mean, just wake up. He's not a number 10. It's Oh, my God. And, under, uh, and anyway. I, I, I understand the logic because, you know, because he wants to win the ball upfield but you need to have a defensive midfielder also for that if he and had, had no one else exactly. yeah. he's a he's the only specialist that you have and you've played him there and again he was the antithesis of wenger because wenger's one of his faults was that he trusted the club uh, the team so much that he wouldn't care who, who he was playing against you know be it barcelona bayern munich or whoever and this guy would Always think about the opposition and never think about themselves, which is why we were so boring, right? Like we were thinking about how Bournemouth is going to play or Burnley is going to play. Come on, you know, we can go up against them with all due respect. We can turn up and they should be worried about us than the other way around. Oh, it, it was so frustrating, wasn't it? And like I said earlier, I can't believe that it was still classed as this season that he was at our club and... The, the problem is at the end, and I said this a lot on um, on Twitter, that it got to the stage that we couldn't blame him anymore. He was mm. clearly the wrong guy, and he was just going deeper and deeper into the quicksand. You know, at the end, after that uh, Europa League game, all that was left of him was his little hand or his fingers just sort of <laughs> slipping down under the, the quicksand. And yeah. What really scares me in lots of ways was that he was going to be given a new contract by Danny, Danny DeVito lookalike, <laughs> uh, who's in charge of our club now. That really worries me because um, I don't, I mean, that. why would, Why the hell in anyone with the right mind would, would even be thinking that, you know, after the Europa League final? I, I just don't get it at all. And it was um, a string of, of performances even built before that right we were on a downward spiral since about game week 32 yeah Uh, and uh, you know there's that's that's the level that he had 
fallen because this season started off and i really thought at the starting of the, at the beginning of the season that per our squad we were the third best squad in in the country that's what i yeah. genuinely thought because chelsea had a transfer ban united didn't really they had ole so whom i thought were like he's not good enough uh, tottenham were 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 pretty shit at the beginning of the season so we were like i really thought that we could be third then we should you know third, yeah and then it was and then hands, wasn't it? exactly and then you know start the liverpool game which was the third game we got absolutely bombarded and then he tried to not lose his main ambition was not to lose rather than to win which is why we turned out so boring and mm. how this whole thing shifted was that i started with being angry at him but then i remember after the brighton game i said that i feel bad for him he's somebody put him out of his misery he's he's clearly like yeah. in a in a position that he doesn't know where he is right now, yeah. he's been knocked out so many times. It's like it was like a racehorse who broke his leg on the on the racing track, and someone had to come up to him and put a bullet through his head just to put yeah. him out of his misery because it was that's the way he was. And if you, I mean, going back to my early uh, podcast, I think it was after the Liverpool game. I I started saying right at that point that there's some you know there's something wrong, and that was only his third game in charge. But yeah. I, I was. I've said it a hundred times. I won't go through it all again, but I, I was never taken with him from day one when he was actually appointed and uh, I had my reservations right from the start. And for me, it was like, it was like picking a, a scab every match that we played. It was just trying to, you know, get rid of a scab. Yeah. And it, it just took a long time That's to fine. go. That's why for me, it's bye, bye, bye. Yeah, good choice. Now, what about the, your thoughts on... The Arteta era. Um, what so, would you choose for that? So Arteta, you know, when when there was talk about who's going to replace uh, replace Emery, and you know, my picks were uh, Allegri, or you know, I'd even thought uh, Pochettino for that reason. Uh, but when people said Arteta, I'll be honest, I wasn't really convinced because, I mean, he doesn't have any managerial experience before this right except for being the you know being second in line to pep but with his first interview he sort of won me over with like he said the right things and communication was the issue with emery and communication is a good point for arteta because he says the right things and you can see that it he means it you know he he sees the yeah. club with a lot of pride he sees it with a lot of respect and you can you know basically you know understand that he he just values the club so you know i want him to do well so you know one uh, you know one song for me is now i want him to do well i want him to be here for long so it's don't let me down by mm. chain smokers that's that's the one for me you know that yeah. you know now go on you know, I, I need you right now. Don't let me down. Yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah, I do. I I mean, I take it you, like, you watched the video that where Ian Wright gave him a phone call recently. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On, you just genuinely believe everything that he's saying, don't you? I mean, it's quite yeah. easy to, to do. And because he's so sincere with everything he says, but I, I don't, I was never, I mean, I, I, I 
I'll lie if I wasn't concerned when he initially got the job. Until I saw his first interview and I was convert, converted after that. But um, it shouldn't matter that he hasn't been a manager anymore. Because again, like I said, with regards to Unai Emery, he's the head coach. He's not a manager. So all he's got to do is coach the team of players that he's got and get the best out of them. And that's, at the end of the day, that's all he's got to do at the moment and get us as high up the table as he can. And he's been doing a, a great job and showing yeah. us that the players that he's got at his disposal, although they're not going to be, at the moment, good enough to, to win any kind of leagues or in any big competitions, he's showing us that they are a decent team after all. And What, that, what I'm happy know. about is, is the fact that he has got this time to assess the team. Because if he was appointed in the summer, I think he would have spent a lot of time just figuring out who what the characters are in the team, right? And now he's got half the season to, uh, that he's played and, you know, a set of matches still to go if they do happen. Mm-hmm. And he can assess and then accordingly decide who needs to go, who needs to stay, and, you know, this is a good thing. And I've been enthused yeah. with the way that he's sort of brought some energy back to the club. And he's going to make mistakes. The reason why I wasn't convinced is because the Premier League has the best managers in the world right now. If you look at it, you know, you've got Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho. Uh, you know, I, no, Jose Mourinho is not one of the best. So no. uh, Jürgen Klopp. And Jürgen Klopp uh, and 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 a few others, you know, uh, Santo mm. uh, at at Wolves and Chris Wilder, you know, all of these are quality managers, and you know, mm. to compete with them, uh, you know, it's not always the legacy that you have had as a player, but rather because because Ole, in my opinion, is not a great manager, and uh, you know. United are doing us a favor by keeping him in charge. Every yeah, time he definitely. goes through a few losses, I hope that he wins. You know, yeah. so that they keep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me know? too. Me too. Exactly the same. Tony Turner's put a couple of comments on as well, saying that Emery has no balls. It's why he kept flip flip flopping on the lineups completely. He, he he definitely lost his bottle, didn't he? Big time uh, after a little while. Um, and we were sitting third six weeks in on October the 5th. People wanted him out in the September international break. See, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, we had third in our hands and he somehow just completely blew it against teams that were in very poor form at the time. And I just don't know. I mean, that's harder to do than to win those games. I think it was harder for Arsenal to go into those matches and lose them than it was to win. I, I, I don't know how he did it, but he did. And um, crazy, absolutely crazy. So what um, is the choice of film that would best summarise your well, how Arsenal mean to you in your life? Okay, so so again, like in terms of just the title of the movie, I I go with Crazy Stupid Love, right? Like because <laughs> Because... Out of all the all the illogical and irrational things that I do, and generally I'm a reasonable guy, I would like to believe that, right? Like, and out of all the irrational things that I do, following Arsenal is the most irrational thing because <laughs> you know it, it, there is there's there's no 
reason to do that at least in the last you know whatever time you know there's just been so much pain that been associated with it right like yeah. it, it, uh, there's been sets of 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 times when we've done well like sets of games but you know overall we haven't like really seen the output what we give to the to the club in terms of yeah. being fans and in terms of you know being loyal supporters so you know that but that's not my choice my choice of movie is is 51st dates because every time i go in like i don't remember the last time and basically i i go in again and i have all that hope and i fall in love again and then you know they sort of let me down and then i go again and it's sort of like a zombie situation but that's i a fantastic I keep choice, going. yeah yeah so that's that's my choice you know that's that's, that's my yeah. love for I've had, yeah, I've had some good choices tonight, and I think yeah, that that's a really, really, really good one actually because it's true, isn't it? Every time a new match comes round, you just your hope just is back to normal again. It's like a, um, yeah. a computer game where your your energy bar is getting a bit low, and you know you have a crappy result at the end, you know, one weekend, and your energy bar is right down there, and then gradually during the week it's gone back up again, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that's a it's a really good choice because you do you just you blindly have this optimism that you don't know where it comes from but especially when a new season starts and everyone's starting again from scratch and you think you've got all your hopes again and dreams that and i think that at the end of the day there's only one team that can win the league every year and i don't always think it's the the best team that wins the league in some cases not not so much lately because you can. It's literally shown that you can buy. You can buy the league um, with if you've got the right owner, who's willing to do so. But back in uh, a few years ago, that sometimes you've got. I don't know how to explain it, but you've got the perfect blend at the right time. Actually, the Leicester campaign is perfect to explain it because it's almost like all the moons aligned for for Leicester, but they got. They bought the right players, and let's face it: when you buy players, it's always a gamble. They bought Jamie Vardy from Fleetwood Town. Yeah. I mean, they didn't know how he was going to take to the Premier League. Riyad Mahrez, and how many times have you had players that Riyad Mahrez come into the league and fail completely, and they they've mm-hmm. gone after a you know even a few months, you don't see him ever again. But he happened to work perfectly, and all within this this cog, their Kante who. Again, was unproven at the time, and everything just worked like a well-oiled machine. And it doesn't always work like that. And they didn't have any major injuries at all that season. And it just worked. Everything just worked. Everything clicked. And every every player as well has got to be in form at the same time. And it's not very often that happens. You can have great players who just have dips in form, and the other teammates around them are they're they're in form, but some of them aren't. And Things don't just quite click. And I think sometimes you just have to have everything, all the stars aligned and all the moons aligned and it just works. And you can you can win the league if you just have that little bit of luck. And I think there's been so many occasions where we haven't had that luck uh, throughout the years. And uh, we, could, we could have bought, for example, um, say Martinelli 
who would have known the last, how well he would have taken to the league? And Gwenduzi, he might have been even better than he was, but hasn't quite worked out that way. But I mean, next season, with another year under their belt, a bit more maturity and a bit more time to be coached by someone as good as Mikel Arteta, you never know, all our stars might, re- might align. And even though they're young, our youngsters could all of a sudden just click because they've been together for several years. Like the, our academy players, for example, everything just could, could just go like clockwork. You never know, do you? It's, it's, it's one yeah. of those things. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to think, right? Like in, in terms of Hoot and, and Morgan, the defensive hmm. duo, you know, more often yeah. than not, they'll be like a second half, like sec- mid-table to l- lower relegation battling pairing. And they won the league, you know? know. We beat them twice in that season. And yeah. it, the, the issue was that all of the other teams, and they played the same thing. They played a 4-4-2 hmm. and they played on the counter but for some reason every time all of the teams just were surprised that they were putting balls over the top and Jamie Vardy was running into it like the, the other teams did not do their job and you know that's again that was the last time i genuinely felt you know 14th of february when we played leicester danny welbeck yeah. scored and i called up my friend and i told him we're going to win the league yeah. you know that was the time and then olivier giroud the Greatest player of all time, you know, goes on a goal drought, right? Like, yeah. So, 16, I, think, I don't think he scored for after January. I think his next goal after yeah. January was was May. Yes, and uh, you know, so so it was just so bad. And I I definitely agree. You know, a lot of things need to go in your favor. For mm. example, this season Liverpool's a great great team, right? They they've done really well. But they're not 25 points better than City. No, they're not, not 25 all. points better than City. That's what they, I mean. they could be 5 points better than City, but they're not 25 points better than no. City. But City's had a lot of injuries. They've had no injuries. Uh, you know, they've had VAR going in for them. Everything. That's, that, Laporte, that matters. Laporte was missing yeah. from a big part of the season. That's exactly what I mean. You know, Sandy. And, if you put at the beginning of the season and you put the two squads together, you'd say that Man City would probably shade it again. Yeah. Because if you look at all the individual players of Liverpool, especially their midfield. Midfield, they're not yeah. They're not all world-class players. It's just that they happen to buy and have the right players who all gel together perfectly. And they haven't really had hardly any injuries, have they, either? No. So it's just like... It's one of those times where they've just taken some chances on some purchases and it's all worked out. But it might not have done because they, they bought Sadio Mane from Southampton. You know, it, at the time, he was a you know, good, talented player. And I don't think he'd scored more than about maybe 12, 15 goals a season at that point. How are they? But I mean, look at um, Salah, who was a complete Salah. abject failure at Chelsea. Chelsea flop. He, they took a chance on him. Who would have known that he would have scored 40 goals uh, uh, the next season? It's just pure chance in lots of ways. It's a gamble. And it's all, they've got two, it's all paid off. They've got two fullbacks who are, whose crossing is as good as Kevin De Bruyne's. Like, <laughs> they, they've got two Kevin De Bruyne's playing there. And who yeah. would have thought Robertson from relegated Hull yeah. and 
Trent Alexander from there. It's a gamble, isn't it? Complete gamble. And that's exactly what I mean by all the stars aligning that it's worked out for them. And it doesn't, it's so often it doesn't work that way. And uh, the first time in 30 years that they were going to win the league. And this is, I mean, that was so funny. Anyway, they were were chances, there were gambles, and they all paid off. Every player that they bought recently has paid off. And they went through so many years where it didn't. Yeah. So everything goes in cycles. And I just hope that our chance and our time, because you know what? One interesting thing is, if this coronavirus, and I said this on, a, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, means that a lot of squads and a lot of teams have to rely on their academy uh, players because of they just physically can't go out and buy players for quite a while. So if you have to rely on your youth, we're going to be right up there because our youth yeah. prospects are fantastic at the moment. Yeah. In yeah. a way, I, I wish that would happen, you know, that... Um, Teams were almost forced to um, play the players, the, the young players. Um, but I, I, I still can't see it happening. I, I still think that there, there's going to be some crazy transfers done, unfortunately, even in this mad time that we're living in. Because yeah. Newcastle, you're not, no one's going to tell me that they ain't going to go out and pl- spend massive amounts of money. And same as all the usual suspects out there every year. Hello, Ray from Arsenal Fan Circle. Thanks for watching. He said hello, hello to both of us. Hi, Ray. So, so what so, do you think? What, so, what I, I, I think that uh, you know this time. First of all, we'll have to see how the season progresses and ends, right? Like whether they're going to play all of these games. I do think they're going to play all of them because the Premier League are greedy sharks and they will not let go of that television money right like so we will play that come whatever may so the teams will recoup some money they will incur some losses but recoup some money uh, versus if they were not playing now what i've said is that we should wait and watch because although this is a dire situation and a situation that has left everyone economically hurting but this maybe a golden opportunity to get some really good purchases in. You know, when the market is down, that's when you go and buy, right? Like that's the basic understanding of of, of buying shares. And in the same Absolutely. way, these players are assets. The players who were 40 million earlier could be worth 20 million now. You know, 20 million could be the new 40 million. And we just need to be vigilant because there will be clubs who will be in worse off positions than we are because we're at least been run as a, a decent club, although we're facing losses for, for some time now. But, you know, that's that's what I had said on, on, on Ray's uh, podcast as well. Uh, and that, that you know, 40 million could, it, it could be the new 80 million. And, you know, getting those purchases in, having your setup, you know, I think we're about three players away from being a decent team. You know, we need a competition at right back. We need a decent centre-back in addition to Saliba. And we need a defensive midfielder, defensive slash, you know, number eight as well, you know, to replace Shaka. So, like a Santi-type player, uh, you know. And if we have that, we could go ahead and do something. I um, That's exactly what I thought initially, and it's exactly what I hope. But all it will take, though, 
is one team to go out there and be stupid, like in Newcastle, like PSG, like Man City, like Liverpool, like uh, Man United, especially Man United, who I think will still go out and spend a lot of money. All it will take is for one of those teams to splash the cash on one big player. And I think it could be Man United buying Jadon Sancho. And I think that might happen. And if they go and do that, that will just be the catalyst of all the other teams trying to play catch-up again. And they won't want to lose out. They won't want to lose ground. So I've so, I've heard this uh, this argument, and I think that see a value of a player. So I don't think any player as such is worth a hundred million or two hundred no million is. or whatever. No they, they, they 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 are prime athletes, but they're they are not saving lives. They're playing football, right? They're kicking a ball. So they're not worth a hundred million, two hundred million, whatever. So their value is only what. A, a club is willing to pay for them. Now, Absolutely. if most of the clubs, because let's say United will buy a couple of players, Newcastle will buy, City might buy, uh, but City with FFP might not buy. But let's say, let's say three, four teams buy, but the rest of the teams also need to get some money from somewhere. And if the I'll other teams aren't great. buying, then, then, then they'll have to sell for less. Uh, that'll be the, uh, the next level down though, in my opinion. And I, I really hope you're right, bro, and I, I completely hope you're right, honestly. But I think at the top table, it, if one of those teams, like United, goes and buys a Sancho because they want to steal a march on their rivals, some of the the rest, the, the, the tier of players slightly below, I think they will probably be very good bargains to be had. But they yeah. won't be like the, the, the top quality players. I, th- I do think the 40 million, 30 million players will go for half of what they used to be. But when you're talking about the players that can make a difference, like the, that will really help you win a league, I still think they're going to be stupid money, unfortunately. And it mm. makes me quite sad to think about that in this current climate. But um, I don't think that the certain level of clubs are going to change too much. And then because of the owners that they have I, I just don't think they will and when you're Newcastle and you've got twice as much money as the owners of Man City then you know they're going to want to make a massive statement and especially as well and uh, I can see them as soon as they can they'll probably you know get rid of get rid of Steve Bruce obviously yeah, get sure. either Pochettino in or someone like that and they're going to go set about because don't forget the FFP rules are going to be relaxed uh, because of all that's yeah. happening in the world and they're going to take a, a, advantage of that and when you do initially take over a, a club you do have that window where you can invest in the in the team legally anyway and it doesn't contravene ffp full stop so if if newcastle then go and buy a i don't know uh, you name a player even even someone like mbappe for example mm-hmm. If they want to make a statement to say, all right, we're here now, they could, they could literally go out and spend £200 million on Kylian Mbappe. What do you think that all the other clubs, like a City and United, what do you think they're going to do then? They're not going to sit back and watch and, and simply be overtaken. They're, they're going to still want to be the top dog. So they yeah. will start competing with 
Newcastle, and it will all start again amongst those top echelon of clubs. Not for everyone else, not for Arsenal, but for all, they will compete against each other like they always have done, unfortunately. I, I, that's what I believe. The good thing is that we've named three positions, right? Three positions, right back, centre back, and uh, so, and and uh, midfield. These are not positions that generally go out for mega million dollars, except for like Van Dyke, you could say, yes, has gone for that. But we don't need a striker or a winger who would command well, yeah, that sort depends. of money. Depends about what's going to happen. Aubameyang. Aubameyang, yeah. So, so that, on that, I, I have my feelings. You know, if you get, if you're getting under 40, 45 million, then you just keep him because he can probably fire you into the Champions League and oh, there's no point great, you'll yeah. recoup it. Because buying a Timo Werner, buying you know somebody else like that is going to cost you a hundred million again. So you know there's no point in in letting him go. He is Pointless, essential yeah. for us competing and getting into the Champions League, and we can recoup his money. But if somebody is willing to spend 60, 70, 80 million on him, then then I'm sure that the the club would want to sell. But in mm. terms of our front. Pairing like if we keep Abameyang, and then left side I think is sorted with Martinelli and Saka. Right side we've got Pepe and Nelson. So you know we've got a decentish front line. Uh, you know and uh, you know I, think I don't that front really... line is, is better than a lot of teams. Yeah, I, I think it's extremely strong. And um, what I don't understand is being linked with William <laughs> on a free because he's free. That was depressing. doesn't mean you have to go and get him because he's free. He's still 32 years old. And he's still a good player at the moment. But why would you do that? Why would you commit to a two or three year contract for someone like him? When, and I don't like this player but, at all, but we've still actually got Mkhitaryan as a player contracted for another year. And I, at this stage, he's 31 and he's had a decent time over in Rome. But why would you go and get Willian when you've already got a Mkhitaryan under contract? And you might as well keep Mkhitaryan. Willian is a little bit better than Mkhitaryan, I believe. But is he that much better that we'd have to go and sign him and give him a big signing on fee and a big contract, which is undoubtedly would have a lot, a big, big wage packet, when you've got already got Mkhitaryan? That, that doesn't make sense. Also, why would you go and get Ryan Fraser? who had one good season for Bournemouth yeah. on a free, which were strongly linked to William and Ryan Fraser. Now, why would we go and get Ryan Fraser when we've got Martinelli and Saka and Aubameyang coming in from the left? Why there would is, we go and get there, Ryan Fraser it, then? It makes no sense. And that is why it fills so well with this Arsenal board, because they make no sense. You know, uh, it's, it's absolutely I, absurd. If that was the... Out of all of this lockdown in which people have been stuck at home and you can't really move about and talk to people, the most depressing part of this lockdown was when I heard that there was that William link because it was just uh, come on, like I mean, you know, you it don't doesn't make that. sense. It also puts another a, a, a big uh, fence in the way of one of our youngsters, like um, Emil yeah. Smith Rowe. I mean, I, I'm really excited about Emil Smith Rowe. Uh, we've seen an awful lot of um, our youngsters this season so far, and we've been excited by them all. Like Saka and obviously Nelson and uh, Willock. And, and I really like Willock as well. But Emile Smith-Rowe has got the potential to be better than all of those as well. 
genuinely. And he's he's purely at, at Huddersfield at the moment, just to toughen up, really. Mm-hmm. And to get his match strength match strength and match fitness because his talent is fantastic. I'm sure you've probably seen the videos on YouTube of his season yeah. so far at Huddersfield. And people will say, oh, it's only Huddersfield or whatever. But he, he's not there because that's his level. He's there to toughen up and uh, and just to get match fitness. And that's where he I will get that. But I, I have I, I have another question, and this is hmm. this is a bit different. You know, this is about you know about Liverpool and them. They've had Salah Mane for for a few seasons now, who have done really well. Uh, and I would think if Salah and Mane were in were at Arsenal. They would have been linked to Real Madrid and Barcelona, and we would have been like in no place to sign an extension with them. And you know the Aubameyang situation right now. Why do you think that's not happening to Liverpool? They, they, I, I, I haven't read that they've seriously been linked or they, Liverpool fear losing them. Although they aren't winning anything. Uh, apart from, I mean, they did win the Champions League, but they weren't <laughs> winning the Champions League. No, yeah. no, no. Of course, of course, <laughs> so, so they they were there for a bit, but they won that. And you know, with the prospect of City winning, like you said, right? Like at the beginning of the season, I would have thought that when they got ninety eight, ninety seven points last season, and they w- didn't win the league, and they won the Champions League, I thought that they would have said, "This is enough. We cannot win the league. We won the Champions League. Now we need to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona." But that didn't happen. Mm. Why do you think that doesn't happen, and that happens to us? Because they've got Jurgen Klopp as a manager, and we had Unai Emery as manager, probably. And it, I think it's down to something as simple as that. Because their owners also, their owners are much more ambitious than our owners, and I think. It shows. It shows that we've, unfortunately, over the last decade, have had a, a big reputation of selling all of our best players. As simple as that. We've sold. All of our players have shown potential. And also, the players that we've had, such as Nasri and Adebayor, they purely, as soon as they had one good season, they were off. And they, they used us to get their move. And we should not have allowed that. And I had a a period of, and I've said this before, I've had a period of around two or three seasons that I almost took no part in whatsoever. Because after we sold uh, Robin Van Persie to Man Man United, we sold the league for 25 million quid. We, We gave them the league for 25 million quid. And once we'd done that, after on top of all the other players that we'd sold and got rid of, I was so disillusioned. I I hardly watched a game for two, between two and three years. I, I I lost of my Arsenal support because I was just so disillusioned with the whole thing, and that has unfortunately given us that reputation lately of 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 always doing that after we've moved into the Emirates. And what really hits the back of your throat with a terrible rotten taste is it's completely the opposite of what we were sold when we moved into the Emirates we were supposed to be competing and buying the best players and competing for everything but it's been completely the opposite and players are only human beings as well and they're not stupid they're going to recognise this themselves and in a lot of cases 
having Arsenal on their CV for players like Emmanuel Adebayor was a really promising and it was a good way of, of using us for a while, showing what we could do and to get his move that he wanted at that particular point, you know, getting a, a way into the Premier League. And the thought of that and being used like that, like some of these mercenary players that we un unfortunately bought, it was just, it was a very, very low period, unfortunately for me as an Arsenal fan. And I didn't like what I was seeing because that was not what we were sold. And so it's a long way around of me explaining that the answer to your question really is the reputation that we've gained under the ownership that we've got now and the choice of manager we made, especially after Wenger left and the choice that we should have made by getting rid of Wenger, as much as I hate saying that, a couple of seasons before. Yeah. We hung on to him a little bit too long. We could have had Klopp ourselves, as we all know. Yeah. He was uh, All of our fa us fans wanted him um, when he was available. We didn't make that move. We weren't ambitious enough. And that, unfortunately, is the answer to your question. We're not, or we haven't been, ambitious enough. And I just sincerely hope that Mikel Arteta, coming into the club now, shows that his ambition will be infectious. And I hope that his relationship with Edu will be a very good, strong partnership for Arsenal for many years to come. And the best possible thing that the club could do is show that they have a little bit of ambition, is replace Raul Sanyehi because I think that he is the cancer that's eating the club. And the longer he stays in the club, it will make Ivan Gazidis look like Mother Teresa, unfortunately. We thought we had it bad under Mother under Ivan, Ivan Gazidis. Well, you wait. If we keep hold of Raul Sanyehi, I'm very concerned He's the biggest problem we've got in the club at the moment. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have 10 Mustafis and 10 Jackers in the team every week than have Raul Sanyehi at, at the club. People, the sooner people realise that, the better, really. That He is the problem. And the, the conversations people are having about his relationship with the super agents, trust me, that's that's going to be just the tip of the iceberg. He's going to make some very bad decisions and... If it, if you don't get that after the fact that he was going to offer Unai Emery a contract extension for three years after the Europa League final, then you know you never will realise that. Unfortunately, so, uh, I I I think I think you've made uh, like really good points on 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 these, and I tend to agree. And that's that's what I thought. And maybe maybe that's the reason why an, a, a, a Real Madrid or a Barcelona come behind uh, come after our players, but. You know, if we see more recently, uh, you know, Liverpool has sold uh, Luis Suarez, Coutinho. Uh, they've sold, you know, earlier they've sold Mascherano. You know, they've they've sold a lot of players to uh, or or Torres to Chelsea. You know, they've they've sold a lot of players. So I think it's it's about the intent that these these owners have shown since they have come mm. in, and uh, you know, keeping hold of of some players making these these buys there's been a lot of luck on the way as well but uh, you know 
but but i would think that liverpool has has made more big level sells than arsenal has in the past few years yeah but you know? they've um, what they did was they they identified the players that they really needed didn't they they identified their their goalkeeper they identified that center back that they actually wanted and they didn't just jump in immediately they waited until they did because what we would have done is and i think a lot of it also is down to the fan base unfortunately being so incredibly impatient and demanding that we, we make that signing there and then but for example with van dyke they had to wait six months to get him and a lot of other clubs would have been panicking too much and would have gone for a their second choice is because they couldn't get him in the in the January. So instead of waiting to summer, they would have gone for a, a second rate Van Dyke, and that's what we did. We could have had Van Dyke as well when he was yeah. at Celtic, but we went and bought Mustafi for three times the amount. But instead, Van Dyke went to Southampton, and then obviously, um, you know, to Liverpool in the rest of his history. We we went and bought Mustafi, unfortunately. And I mean, it's almost comical, really, isn't it? And but they've actually got the players that they wanted. They've spent massive on the the exact right player, rather than go out and buy. You know, instead of Brilliant. spending six, instead of spending, uh, say, fifty five million quid on one player, we'll go out and buy three players for fifteen million. And it's much, much more of a gamble, and it hasn't paid off for us. We've made some some good purchases lately. It seems to be going a little bit back up, but for a whole period of time, we were making some terrible, terrible decisions, and we weren't spending the money properly, and we weren't selling properly for quite a long period of time either. We've done stupid mistakes, like letting Ramsey go for free when we could have quite clearly got 40, 50 million quid for Ramsey. Or Wilshire. We didn't, we didn't make the right... Wilshire's another one, yeah. And we, it, I'd say probably around... I'd say about 10 years, maybe, give or take, of terrible decisions in the transfer market. And that is the big mistake, whereby they've got the right decision-makers in place. We've got Raul now. They've... I can't remember the guy's name now at Liverpool, but they've got the right guy in charge who's making the right decisions. We own a stats company. We went out and bought a stats company. We don't use them anymore. They're still there, but we, we've got Raul Sanyehi with, you know, chinwagging over a glass of brandy with all the super agents instead. And, and that's why we get Luis, right? Because they, they that's why we get Cedric Suarez, right? Because when you mm. get into bed with the super agents, they've exactly. got a list of clients and they want to sell. And Arsenal being in this desperate situation, we'll not get a Varan. We'll get like a... We'll get William. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get a William. I know. Because of the age of... I don't know actually William's agent, but I bet if you go and look, it'll be one of those guys who's in our director's box every week, unfortunately. So, um, the biggest... Do you know who I would, I would like? One of the best signings. I mean, I'd love Tom... Thomas Party, I've been going on about for months and months. I want, I'd love to get Thomas Party, but if we think we're going to get him now in this marketplace in in the current climate, we're fooling ourselves. But um, <clears throat> the best signing we could possibly make as a club, I think, 
would be go and get Stuart Webster from Norwich, who is there. I don't. I think his title is sports sporting director or football director, director of football. If you look at some of the, the young players that they've had over the last few years coming through that club and the intense quality of the young players they've got there now, uh, if we had someone like that who could actually spot players like like those, like a James Madison, like a Max Aaron's, like you know um, all the other youngsters that they've got coming. Very, very exciting players. Their whole ability of finding those players, nurturing them, getting them playing amazing football and then selling them on. I mean, how how much would they get for um, James Madison um, for last season from Leicester? I mean, I can't remember how much they paid in the end, but they got him for nothing. I picked him up. And if you've got the right people making the right decisions based on the right... You know, scouting, actual proper old school scouting, as well as the ana analytics of the player, rather than just the relationships of the guys that you're hanging around with drinking yeah. brandy. I mean, that is something we need. And we, we, had, we that. had the guy in Sven Missler's and Tower. Exactly. Go. exactly. And, uh, you know, this, this is what I mean. You know, Raul Sonierhi is the root cause of all of our problems, as far as I'm concerned, making these decisions. And we've left the club in his hands completely. And we need to make a, a decision sooner rather than later. Unfortunately, I, I can't see it happening. I think um, the Cronkies have got... They, they think they've got the right team in, in place. And I don't, I've got some real worries about it. And I haven't... I've aired them, my, my concerns before, but not, to this, not quite to this level. But I think people need to wake up and say that I can see this going on for quite a long time because of that one man. And I'll tell you what, if, if Mikel Arteta, we've got the right head coach in place now. I've got so much belief in him. But if he is not backed, someone else is going to go and get him at the end of next season at the latest. Because he's already showing how good he is as a, as a coach. I mean, it's no coincidence that Man City's form went off a cliff after he left. I, I don't believe. I think that shows an awful lot. And if we don't back him in the transfer market and get the right players, then he's going to be one of the big clubs, you know, across Europe. They're going to come in for him and be there. You know, he'll be their head coach rather than us. I so feel like, a, you know, there are there are some. You need a scouting network, and you need all of this, which we had with Mislintat, uh, you know, and his connections in Germany that we got Aubameyang, and you know, you don't need any scouting for Aubameyang, but like he was getting the right structure in place. I I felt that that was great, and you know, we need that. But what really frustrates me is that so many times we, as fans, can tell that this is the direction, the right direction for the club, and. We, we we aren't paid millions of dollars to make that decision, but we know logically we knew for for years I was saying like when he when Van Dyke was at Southampton, get him. We and there was a point even from Southampton we could have got him for about 40 odd million and we didn't do that. I was like, get Alderweireld from from Southampton. He went to Spurs. Uh get Klopp in when he was available. You know, Klopp would have he would have been the right fit for Arsenal. You know, he has this feel-good aura around him. He plays a good brand of football. You know, the fans would have loved him and he would have increased the equity. You know, why I think 
these guys, uh, you know, the Kroenkis, they're billionaires, but they are shit business people. And I'll tell you why. It's because if I had an asset like Arsenal, I would try to increase its valuation because, you know, increasing it, its valuation will get me more money at the end of it, which is their end game, right? Now, how do you increase the valuation? By making the team do well on the field, right? And getting then getting to endorsements and, you know, leading your club. But we are going in a downward spiral. Just look at Liverpool. Their stocks have increased, you know, two, three times since they've got Klopp in. So it's in their interest to invest. And it's not like we're not investing since the time that uh, Jurgen Klopp has come in, we've spent, in gross, we've spent around about the same as Liverpool. If you take money out of the picture, we've spent the same. And they're not not even counting that they've spent on Coutinho, like they've got from Coutinho's sale. We haven't sold anywhere near as well as them. We've got we've let players go. For, I mean, we sold Wojciech Szczesny for ten million pounds, I mean, what's that all about? Yeah, and absolutely ridiculous. And we sold, um, for God's sake, what's his name? The other goalkeeper, um, Ospina. Ospina, yeah, a very experienced, competent international goalkeeper yeah. for three million pounds. We, we've got no clue. It's like, I mean, we really go for nothing, and. And then we, we didn't take, take take 30-40 million for Shaka. We didn't take the 10 million for for Mickey. No. We aren't taking the money for El Neni. Like you know, bad decision over bad decision. And you know, the exactly. only people to blame are the people on top. Exactly. All right, I'm gonna uh, have to wind up now. We're going nearly nearly two hours, so I'm going to finish off with this question from Ray. Thanks, Ray. If you can make two moves, swap or buy, what moves do you make with 40 million maximum combined expenditure? Now, we have to uh, give us a fairly quick answer on that one. Um, if you can think of anyone. Yeah. I, I... I, I'll tell you what I would do for the first one. I would swap quite comfortably. I would swap Lacazette. For Thomas Party, maybe Same. you have to top top it up by about uh, maybe ten million quid. Same, uh, yeah. Very happily do that. And you know what? As well, now this may sound a bit weird, but I don't think we actually need to replace Lacazette. As long as we keep Abamian, we, we've got Niketia. Yeah, we keep we keep Abamian. Yeah, we could give him a much improved contract because it's still cheaper than buying someone else. Mm-hmm. Move him into the middle. And then we could got we've got Saka or Martinelli for the left, Pepe from the right, and Nelson from the right as well. But also, I don't think in my strongest eleven, Lacazette's on the bench. I don't think he plays at the moment. And I think that if we need goals, we've got Enketia, who's a, a better natural goal scorer than Lacazette. And now that's my. Some people, yeah, it's quite fashionable to say, "What's your, you know." Um, what's the word? Uh, opinion, you know, your controversial opinion, unpopular opinion, unpopular even. Opinion. I I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think he's Ketia is a better natural goal scorer than Lacazette. 
Now, Lacazette's got much more to his game than Nketiah at the moment. I'm not stupid. I, I know that. Yeah. But I think that if both players played in very, very similar teams and both started the season, even now, you know, with Nketiah's limited experience, I think that Nketiah would outscore Lacazette. Now, Lacazette might have a better overall contribution to the team, but at the end of the day, when you're paying him as a striker and you buy him as a striker, you want goals. And I think Nketiah will get more goals than him in a good team. But because Lacazette shouldn't really be in our first 11 strongest players, I'd be quite comfortable not to replace Lacazette and keep Nketiah in his place on the bench because we could spend that money then elsewhere, personally. Absolutely. Agree with that. You know, I I think that because Lacazette is playing there, we have to shoehorn, you know, him and Aubameyang in the same team and Aubameyang yeah. gets put left, which I don't like. And, and, and then Martinelli and Saka suffer. So, you know, overall, you know... I would I would sell Lacazette for Partey as long as we keep Aubameyang and mm. uh, and I'd be quite happy with it. You know, unpopular opinion or uh, you know I don't think it's as unpopular anymore. But this unpopular comparison maybe that Lacazette has Giroud numbers, right? In terms of goal scoring, he scored 15, 16 goals in in his seasons. Even when he was player of the season, he had 16 goals, right? Which is the same number that Giroud had in that in the Leicester season. So if Lacazette was doing the same thing in that season, he would have people would have been much more angry at him, like they are with Giroud. But he gets away with it because we are nowhere in the title race. No. So so yeah, I mean. I don't really, as long as um, Arteta can get uh, Maitland-Niles' mind right and get him more uh, mentally uh, stable, if you like, regards to the his thoughts on playing right-back. I, I think he's a very, very promising right-back, but it's all about what's up here in, his, in between his ears. And if he can get his head around the fact that if he knuckled down and learnt that position, he hopefully he's seen some sense during this downtime and he's been spending all his time learning the role of right back, you know. If he could do that, then I don't think we need a right back because between him and Bellerin, I think that's you know, we've got a very good understudy for Bellerin there in, in Maitland Niles. And we've got very strong at left back. Uh, now we've got Tierney back as well because obviously Saka can tr- drop back and understudy him as well. But also we've got Klasnach. Um I really think we can, I would love to get rid of Klasnach whilst he's got some kind of value because he's still at a good age. And I think he's perfect for someone like West Ham. You know, we get rid of all our cast-offs to West Ham and I think they'd love him bombing up and down the left-hand side. Um, but as regards to two moves swap a buy, I think that our next um, most critical role to fill is um, someone to replace long-term Meza Ozil. Because I would love to have, as like I said earlier, Emil Smith Rowe in the squad week in week out next season. Um, but he could learn from someone really really strong coming in and I because we've already got the defensive midfield sorted and I think as much as we need a central defender 
and because I'm we're, with this question, we're limited to two moves. As much as we do, I really hope that we make um, Pablo Marie permanent because I do like the look at that guy. I'm quite comfortable with him. He reminds me a lot of Steve Bold. Uh, you're probably too young to have seen Steve yeah. Bold week in, week out, but his style of play is very similar to me. And the way he, he runs, he's got a funny gait. You know, he's, he's quite similar. But I like the look of that guy. So fingers crossed we can make him permanent. But I think we're more critical um, to have a, a link player in, I hate to say it, the Ramsey-type role to who's who can run the... Yeah, who can run at, and pick the ball up and run comfortably, um, you know, and, and link the midfield and, and forwards. Question is, who would it be? In an ideal world, it could be it would be Jack, someone like Jack Grealish. I think do like the guy. He's a very very competent player, and he, he's got a lot of strength as well. Or, and I, I can't think. Can you think of another player who would fit that sort of mould? Um, so so actually, if you ask me, uh, you know, first of all, Ray is going to love your answer with Murray because he's he's a big fan of of Murray so you know although we've just seen like like two games of Mm. him so hopefully hopefully he does well and Arteta has that uh, has that influence now with Partey I'm not really sure about what his actual skill set is because I I can't say that I've watched too much of him I watched him in the Liverpool two legs and then I've watched some videos of him in uh, on YouTube but what we need is a Santi type player, right? Like who can, who can, what I, what I said before on, on Ray's podcast is that, you know, if the rules of the game were that Shaka gets the ball and for 10 seconds, nobody can close him down. If those were the rules of the game, Shaka would be the <laughs> brilliant player. Yeah. But, but that's not the rule of the game. Right? So, so he's not, you know, so that's why that is a, yeah, that's spot a, on, that's spot a, on. Or, Position. So I don't know if if Partey fulfills that position, that role At, of yeah. spreading. Actually, I, I know what I'd do. I, I, I mean, I, again, I, a lot of people would say this is a an unpopular opinion because I've seen a lot of criticism for him. But if we got Party in, I think the absolute perfect partner in a double pivot with him would be Danny Ceballos. I, I. I Love Danny De Ceballos. I don't see what people... He's not the quickest player in the world. No. We don't need him to be, though. This is what I try and explain to everyone. What we need is... Because one of the best modern-day sort of midfielders in the type that we need was Michael Carrick. As much as I don't like Man United, and I hate to say it, he is the type of guy who would be perfect for us at the moment because we need someone, like you said, with the Xhaka in the Xhaka position who can take the ball from the defence or the goalkeeper and quickly spot that ball that needs to go out, you know, whether that's left, right, centre, straight ahead, long long um, ball to the centre forward. We need someone in that kind of mould. Michael Carrick was as slow as a, a cart horse. He, he couldn't have any pace, but he was a very, very clever player. And I see that Danny Ceballos is, is a very... He could be... the fulfilling that role perfectly because he is very quick-footed. He makes his decisions very quickly and he just needs a... Uh, because his injury uh, 
earlier in the season it was such a shame because that yeah. really stunted his progress, unfortunately. He was out for three months. People forget that. But I think he's got the talent and the desire and more than anything, the passion as well and love for the club in such a short space of time. He's the sort of player I love watching and he would fulfil that role perfectly. And Thomas Partey, he hasn't quite got the same height and but he's not far off. He's, I suppose, he's as close as we could possibly get to be the, this Ill, this search for a Vieira replacement as we've ever had. Because he, that's the kind of player he is. He's a box-to-box player. And he's got power, pace. And he would scare the living daylights out of a lot of opposition midfielders. And I think with him and Ceballos, they would complement each other really, really well. So... If we could have a maximum of forty million pounds expenditure, I think a Lacazette swap for Thomas Party, even if we have to give give them a bit extra, and with the change, I'd get Ceballos from Real Madrid. Personally, I'd be really happy with that. Yeah, I mean Party for me, and then uh, you know, of course, like I I don't know if Ceballos wants to stay. Or if if he is the right player, we need somebody who is a quick two-footed, uh, you know, player. And I do agree with the pace part, point of view, right? Like because Tony Cruz is not the fastest player in the world, no, but he's people, got that passing range, right? People like, seem that's what we that having to have, have Olympic sprinters in the midfield. And yes, it's it's great to have pace, but we've got plenty of pace on the wings. Yeah, we've got plenty yeah. of pace in the team. We don't need a midfielder who is like Usain Bolt. We need someone who can keep the ball. You know, like a Ceballos, yeah. uh, sorry, a Santi. Uh, you know, there, there aren't any Santis that are around at the moment. People just have to wake up sometimes. There's no one like that. But Ceballos is young. He's only 22 still. Maybe he's just turned 23, I think. I don't know. But he's still very, very young. And he's got plenty of time to learn that role perfectly. And the, the talent is easy to see for me in that guy. Um, Sabayas, I think he's got Uzi's talent. You don't play for Real Madrid if you shit or the Sp- Spanish national team. So yeah. I'd like to give him a go, and he could be the basis of our midfield for a long time to come. And Thomas Partey's twenty-seven, so we would get the best years out of him at the moment if we if we made that plunge. But uh, yeah, and also like like Ray said, like I said earlier, I'd love to make. Pablo Marie permanent as well. I hope that we'd have enough money left over for that. But I think that's only about six million quid or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Something along those lines. So hopefully we'll be able to afford him as well. Yeah. That, so yeah, that, that, I, that seems like a decent show. I'm going to have to sort of finish up there. But I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, but, uh, Ron, yeah it was good, great, right? Soon. Ray, yeah. you must come on soon as well if you are up for it. I'd love to get you on and... Uh, so you can give me your choices on Mesut Island Discs as well. But yeah, thanks ever so much, Rowan. I'm really, uh, really grateful you came on. Uh, hope to see you again very, very soon. Yeah, thanks it, was, it was absolutely great, you know. And just, just talking about the whole length of from Wenger to Emery yeah. to, you know, Arteta moving forward, like everything. It, it was great. It's uh, we've not been short of things to talk about, have we? Even though we haven't kicked a ball for three months as a, <laughs> as a team, so it's been good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So thanks ever so much for everyone watching. Thanks to everyone who is listening to this in the audio version. 
because shortly after this it will be available on all major platforms of uh, you know spotify apple Podcasts, etc so make sure you like subscribe and if you are listening on apple Podcasts, please give us a five star review because it will help us get found so we've got some great guests coming up i'm not going to release the names just yet because uh, the dates are still to be sorted out but we've got another show coming up next uh wednesday so make sure you subscribe and hit the notification button so you don't forget it so i'll see you very again very soon take care thank you Have you liked it yet? No? Why not? What's going on? You should be ashamed of yourselves. Your grandparents right about now are thinking, uh, wrong ends. Absolute wrong ends. This is wrong, and you know it. Start liking, start subscribing, get on with it. Thank you very much. <laughs>